Why worship? Joshua 24, verses 14 and following. And Scott, I think I'm just a little hot. It says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day who you will serve whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Paul puts it a little differently in his testimony in Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by a renewing of your minds so that you may discern that which is pleasing and the will of God, acceptable and perfect. Why worship? What does it mean to present ourselves before our God? What does it mean to give witness, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord? We are to present our bodies, our whole being, as a living sacrifice. God will lead us out of our barrenness into abundance. Will we hold his hand? Will we walk with him step by step? We must throw away all of the old gods, all the other gods, the gods of money and material possessions and the gods of things past, the gods of prestige, the god of family, the god of intellect and achievement and accomplishment, and honor the Almighty One, our God. Our theme for this series of sermons has been to walk worthy to walk worthy of our Lord, to present ourselves as living sacrifice, to declare and witness that as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Let us pray and invite God to open our hearts to his word this morning. Loving God, giver of life, teach each of us to choose you alone. Show us the places where we try and and sit on the fence of life or of faith. Show us the ways to move beyond simply showing up in your presence and to fully present ourselves to you. Help us to trust you wholeheartedly and to never look back. In your strong name we pray. Amen. You have an outline in your worship flyer if that's helpful to follow along. Today we look at yet another way to walk worthy of our Lord. And so let me just ask a little pop quiz here. Can you remember what some of them have been over the last few weeks? Just call them out. So 
I may as well sit down because it doesn't do a whole lot of good. We talked about why give. Last week we talked about why the sacraments of baptism and communion. We've also talked about uh, why um, membership and why be involved in small groups. We've talked about a variety of things that we do as expressions in our church of worship of our God and seeking to understand and learn more about Him. And next week, we're going to be looking at why share our faith. We're going to look at the fact that we are not just to sit here and absorb all this. We are to expend this in our world. And today, why worship? And some of you may be sitting there saying, hmm, didn't we just do that two weeks ago? No, that was why worship music, one segment, sometimes a troublesome segment of what worship is. But today I want to look at the whole of worship. Because you see, my philosophy, as I've come to understand God's Word, is that worship is a lifestyle. It's something that we do 24-7, 365. A person may say, oh, I'm going to church to worship God. When the reality is, as a Christian, You go to work to worship God. You go out to play to worship God. You go to school to worship God. You go to watch a soccer game or a ballet to worship God. You go to meetings. You do get-togethers with friends and neighbors. We're going to be doing the next dive on November the 16th where we're going to serve the community of our church and the community beyond You're going to be hearing a lot more about that, but I hope that date is for your family reserved on November the 16th to be here as the family of God and as we worship God by our actions. Also, Covenant World Relief. We're doing cans for change right now. This could be a symbol on each one of your tables as you sit down to eat your meals to remember that there's people that are less fortunate than you. Out in the foyer, you can pick up a a lid and a label And just get a soup can, it's an act of worship. Did you realize that Covenant World Relief with just $25 can bring clean water to an individual in a village in Ethiopia, in the Honduras, in Bangladesh? Just $25? Each year, there are 15 million deaths due to the lack of water or water-related diseases and poor sanitation. For every $1 invested through Covenant World Relief for safe drinking water and sanitation, the World Health Organization estimates there's an average economic benefit of $7. Folks, it's the loaves and the fishies all over again. That God wants to multiply what you're going to give and to use it around His globe for His children that He's concerned about and cares about. So how about it? Are you worshiping? One of the important issues of our Christian faith is that God wants all of you. And that could be taken two ways. That could be all of you, every single one of you, or that could be all of you and all of me as we come to worship Him. And I pray that Sunday mornings is just such a gathering where all of us are worshiping together, but all of me is worshiping my God, as Greg pointed out this morning. God's not interested in a part of your life. He asks for all of your heart, for all of your soul, for all of your mind, for all of your strength. God is not interested in half-hearted worship. He wants your whole heart to worship Him. 
And it's not a worship if I can work it into my schedule or when I get around to it or when it's convenient or when it fits into my scheduling. He desires your full devotion, not just little bits of your life here and there. He desires your undivided loyalty, not just what's convenient. In John chapter 4, we have the encounter of Christ and the Samaritan woman. She tried to debate Jesus, basically, on theology, and she was pretty good. She was concerned about worship. She was concerned about the best time, the best place to worship. She was concerned about style for worship. And Jesus told her that those all were external issues and they're irrelevant. Where you worship is not as important as why you worship and how much of you you present to your God in worship. There's a right and a wrong way to worship. But lest you jump to uh, conclusions, lest you jump the gun, most of your first thoughts were probably not what Jesus had in the mind when he was talking to the woman at the well or speaks to us this morning. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, let us be grateful and worship God in a way that pleases Him. Your worship is to be pleasing to Him. I'm married. I love my wife. And I show my worship, my worship of her and our relationship. As inadequate as it is sometimes, but I give her my whole heart. Should I do any less for my Lord? On your outlines, I believe God wants pleasing worship. And I think there's four characteristics that I'll lift up of God's Word this morning. The first one is God-pleasing worship is accurate. Is accurate. I've heard people say something like, I like to think of God as, and then they kind of fill in the blank. I like to think of God as this or that. And, And they insert their own ideas of the kind of God that they would like to worship. And oftentimes it's a souped up clone of their own preferences, their own needs, their own wants. Folks, you can't just create your own comfortable, politically correct image of God and then worship it because that's idolatry. Worship must be based on the truth of scriptures. Again, when Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman in chapter 4 of John, he told her, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Many of you are doing, in fact, show show your hands if you're familiar with this book and are reading it or have read it at one time and so on. Yeah, a lot of you. It's an incredible little devotional book by um, Sarah Young. And it was interesting that yesterday's uh, theme in the second paragraph, it says, It is much more real to see yourself through my eyes. It's speaking first person that God is addressing this directly to you. Jesus is calling. My gaze upon you is steady and sure, untainted by sin. Through my eyes, you can see yourself as one who is deeply and eternally loved by your God. 
Rest in my loving gaze, and you will receive deep peace. Respond to my loving presence by worshiping me in spirit and in truth. To worship in spirit and truth means to worship God as he truly is revealed in the Bible. And so God is pleasing, is pleased by your worship when your worship is accurate, when it goes according to God's word. The second one is that God-pleasing worship is also authentic. When Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, he said to worship in spirit. He wasn't there referring to his Holy Spirit, although his Holy Spirit certainly helps us and assists us in our worship, but rather to each of your spirits, my spirit, this God image that he created within us, the fingerprints of God on who we are and how he purposed for us to live. And God made you a spirit residing in a human body and designed your spirit to commune and communicate with him. Worship is your spirit responding to God's spirit. And when Jesus said, love God with all your heart and soul, he meant that you must worship God, and it must be genuine, it must be authentic, it must be heartfelt. It's not just a matter of saying the right words. You must mean what you say. I can remember when my wife was interested in doing a uh, redecorating project. And we were sitting there, and she pulled out all the color swatches and fabric samples and all this kind of stuff, and I was sitting there, and I was going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I made all the kind of female encouraging sounds and whatnot, and I fooled her at first, but not for long. You see, I was making Venus noises, and uh, my, my feelings were really on the planet Mars still. And I wasn't doing a very good job of communicating with my wife. And that's the way we are about worship sometimes. We're so busy with our color swatches and everything and trying to fake it as far as our response to what God wants to show us, how he wants to remodel our hearts, our lives. And so we do heartless praise, which is not really praise at all. Ever had someone say something nice about you, but you knew they really didn't mean it? Yeah, it never feels good, does it? When somebody genuinely says something nice about you, oh, it feels so good, but you can always see the fake. It's worthless. It's almost an insult. And when we worship, God looks past our words to see our attitudes. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, God pointed out that God doesn't look the same way we look because we look at the outward appearance. But God looks inside at who we are. Since our worship is to delight in God, it engages our emotions. God created our emotions, among other things, so that we could worship Him, that we could do it with deep feeling. That would touch us deeply. Your emotions need to be authentic. God hates hypocrisy. He's not interested in showmanship. He's not interested in uh, pretense or phoniness or putting up a good front. He wants honest, real, authentic, sincere love. God is not looking for perfection in our worship, but he is looking for our sincerity. So worship must be accurate, it must be authentic, and we use both our hearts and our heads in our worship. 
Real worship happens when your spirit responds to God. When you truly encounter Christ, not some response to a musical tone or a particular style. Face it, our biggest distractions in worship are our own interests, our own concerns and worries, our own preferences, and the list goes on and on. Many forms of worship are mentioned in the Scriptures. Confession, shouting, standing, lying prostrate, um, kneeling, dancing, singing instruments, making a joyful noise, singing a new song, testifying, preaching, covenant world relief, dive. All of those are worship. Gary Thomas was a speaker at our minister's retreat a few years back, and, and he posed a question. He says, if God intentionally made us all different, why should everyone be expected to love and worship God in the same way? It is kind of an unrealistic expectation. In his book, Sacred Pathways, How to Connect with Our God, Gary identifies nine ways that people draw near to God, and I quote, Naturalists are most inspired to love God out of doors, in natural settings. Sensates love God with their senses and appreciate beautiful worship services that involve their sight, taste, smell, and touch. I can remember one worship service. I had uh, a couple, three bread makers going, and just that fresh aroma of bread in the sanctuary made us hungry for the Lord's table and uh, probably a big dinner besides. Traditionalists draw closer to God through rituals, liturgies, symbols, and unchanging structures. Ascetics prefer to love God in solitude and simplicity. Activists love God through confronting evil and battling injustice and working to make the world a better place. Caregivers love God by loving others and meeting their needs. Enthusiasts love God through celebration. Contemplatives love God through adoration. Intellectuals love God through studying with their minds. You see, there is no one-size-fits-all. Our creative God, who made each one of us unique and different, also created many different forms and expressions of worship of Him. In John chapter 4, 23, that's the kind of people the Father is out for in worship those that are simply and honestly themselves before him in worship. Thirdly, God-pleasing worship is thoughtful. Jesus says, love God with all your mind. That is a command he repeats several times in the New Testament. God is not pleased with thoughtless singing of songs. He's not pleased with thoughtless and perfunctory prayers of cliches or with careless exclamations of praise the Lord because we can't think of anything else to say at the moment. If worship is mindless, it is also meaningless. You must engage your mind. Jesus called thoughtless worship vain repetitions in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. I encourage you to read God's Word. You will get a taste of what worship is and all the different forms it takes throughout the Word of God. Read in different translations to get different expressions of that worship that will give you more full meanings. Sometimes just try to praise God, not using words like praise or hallelujah or thank you or even amen. 
on your outline there, you've got a little phrase. It says, we just want to blank you. And so often we would plug in the word praise. But for a moment, I want you to think outside the box. I want you to think of other words you could insert there. We just want to, you, Lord. Put in synonyms for praise. Think of other words you could use. And let, let's just call a few out. What would be some examples? We just want to honor, serve, seek, love. I heard a door. Run out of words so soon? Take this exercise home. See if you can come up with a hundred words of things that we would do as acts or responses of worship to admire God, to adore Him, to respect, to value, to honor, to appreciate, and just go through a litany of things that would express your worship of your God. Sometimes focus on the names of God. Those aren't there because the writers were bored. They aren't arbitrary. But rather they show and display different aspects of the God we worship. Different descriptions. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40, Paul discusses this and concludes by saying, everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Now that doesn't mean rigid. Back in my day, I was raised in a Baptist tradition and our worship service was the opening song, there was announcements, there was the prayer, there was a song before the sermon, there was a sermon, and there was a song after the sermon, and prayerfully he got that all in prior to the noon whistle at the factory next door, which went off seven days a week even though people weren't working. But it was a clue to our pastor. Fortunately, we don't have a factory here. We just have the timeout whistle on the football field. Related to this, God wants our worship to be understandable to unbelievers. It's not to be some sort of hocus-pocus, mumbo-jumbo that some of the cults or world religions espouse, which only are there for the in-group. Rather, our worship is something that we live out 24-7, 365 to everybody we encounter every day of our lives. And it needs to be understandable, not just something for the select few. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians, suppose some strangers are in your worship service when you are praising God with your spirit. If they don't understand you, how will they know to say amen? You may be worshiping God in a wonderful way, but no one else will be helped. Special emphasis times in our church life where we look to reach out, men's life on Monday nights, many of our small groups which are open to try to get our neighbors or co-workers involved and to give them a sample of who this God is that they might come and want more and desire to have a relationship with the living God. So pleasing God in our worship, we need to be accurate in our view of God, authentic, giving, heartfelt worship, and thoughtful, using our mind in worship. And finally, God-pleasing worship is practical. Our series theme is to walk worthy of our Lord. Why does God want our bodies? Why does he ask us to present them as living sacrifices? 
I believe it's because without our bodies and life, we would never do anything. Someday in heaven, we'll get a new body, God tells us. But while on earth, God says, give me what you've got. God is being practical with how he made each and every one of us. We use the expression, oh, I'll be there in spirit, which is to say, we're really taking off on vacation, but I'll be there in spirit. And basically, as I understand God's word, that if your body isn't there, neither are you. In worship, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. He wants you to live for him. We sing onward Christian soldiers on Sunday, but on Monday, we're AWOL. And I sometimes wonder what God thinks, because it's so tempting to want to crawl back off that altar. It's awful uncomfortable, those sticks poking me in the back. Real worship costs. David said in 2 Samuel 24, I will not offer to the Lord uh, my God sacrifices that have cost me nothing. Is that what our giving and worship is? A pittance? A symbol? Real worship is rooted in God's Word, and God's Word says that God is pleased with sacrifices of worship, of thanksgiving, of praise, of humility, of repentance, offerings of money, time, abilities, prayer, serving others, sharing with those in need, reconciling our relationships, being at peace with all brothers and sisters, and on and on the list goes. As I pondered the cost of worship to me, one thing it cost me is my self-centeredness. You see, it's not all about me. I can't exalt God and myself at the same time. Worship isn't about us. You don't worship to be seen by others or to please yourself. Worship is a deliberate shift of the focus off of me and onto my God. When you praise God, even when you don't feel like it. You praise God by getting out of bed to worship, even when you're tired. By helping others, even when you're worn out and it's awful inconvenient and I have so much to do. You are offering a living sacrifice of worship to God that pleases God. Matt Redman as Greg shared uh, a week or two ago, wrote the song, The Heart of Worship. He's a worship pastor in England, and he wrote this song in response to his pastor's teaching on the real meaning of worship. And the pastor was making the point that worship is so much more than music, and that's why we're doing two sermons on worship. And so Matt decided, okay, let's not have music in the church for a few weeks. The church learned to worship God in other ways, other expressions. And Matt Redman wrote this, song, wrote this song so that when music was reintroduced, it was reintroduced not as the worship, but as a part of worship, a tool of worship, an expression of worship, among many other tools and expressions. And he wrote the song, The Heart of Worship. And in a few moments, we're going to sing that together as an act of worship. Listen closely to the words. Let's pray.
God, we have come to worship you. To attempt to be living sacrifices. We worship you now in giving. Giving of offerings that you will use to bless other people's lives and to minister your gospel to people that need to be back in relationship with you. But also it's the commitment of our lives to be hands and feet and voice to that giving. Thank you for these gifts and these offerings. Multiply them. In your name we pray.